0: Glad to uh, get in touch with you. So, in a moment before the uh, uh, Lord's Supper, uh, the choir is about to do a song uh, to prepare our hearts uh, to go into the Lord's Supper. Great song by Twyla Paris. How beautiful. Listen prayerfully. If you would take your cups in your hand this morning. What a beautiful job our choir has done today as our instrumentalists begin to play over us. Let's prepare our hearts to receive this supper today. You should have received a cup as Brother Steve said. And if you would go ahead and take back the top thin layer and reveal the bread. The Lord's Supper is a beautiful, symbolic sermon for us, reminding what Jesus Christ did for every single person. He went to Calvary as the beloved, perfect, sinless Lamb of God, and he gave his body for you and me. Jesus said, this is my body, which is broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And then how powerful is the symbolism of the juice or the wine? The Bible says that without the shedding of blood, there could be no remission of sin. Blood is central to the entire gospel story. That Jesus, as that perfect lamb of God, he shed his blood. He paid the price that you and I should have paid. So if you'll go ahead and peel back that metallic layer, please. And reveal this juice, symbolizing the shed blood of our Lord. Jesus said, this cup contains the new covenant in my blood. So whenever you drink it, he said, drink ye all of it. Let's bow our heads together as we pray. Dearest Lord Jesus, we bow before you today and we say in song and now we say in in just simple words that we do know and understand and believe that your body is so beautiful. Jesus, thank you for giving of your very self for us. Thank you for leaving the glories of heaven for us, taking on human form. Jesus, thank you for allowing yourself to be whipped and scourged. Thank you for enduring the pain and the punishment. Thank you for finishing the task the Father sent you to complete. Or thank you for coming to seek and save those who are lost. Thank you for being the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. Jesus, thank you for shedding your blood for us. We love you, Lord Jesus. We devote ourselves to you anew, our Savior and our Lord. We pray this in Jesus' powerful name. Amen.
1: Stand with me as we continue to worship. Great is thy faithfulness. Great is thy faithfulness O
0: thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for all your blessings. Thank you for the rain. Father, we just love and praise you. We ask that you be with Brother Danny as he comes now to, to preach. Father, we ask that you open our ears to hear. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you. Be seated. Thank you so much for being in church today. It is so good to see people flooding in and then to see more and more arrive during out this early service, and I'm so glad that you're here today. I am very, very excited that we have the chance to continue our sermon series on the Gospel of Mark this morning. The title of the series is The Remarkable Life of Jesus, and you might notice that we handled the Lord's Supper quite a bit differently today than we might be accustomed to. Oftentimes, it really takes a central place in our worship service, but we had to call an audible um, last Sunday with our friends from Navarro College. The entire football team was with us and and I wanted to start this sermon series with them being here. And then since we started it, I didn't want to immediately take a break this morning from it um, to really focus on the Lord's Supper. So we felt like we could do both and I'm excited to be in this series. If you were with us last week, you know that we shared that the gospel according to Mark was written to a Roman audience, and we learned that the Romans loved action. And so we learned that the most common word in the entire gospel of Mark is the little Greek word "euthus," and it literally means quickly or immediately. It appears 40 times in only 16 chapters, and it appears that way because the action never stops. Jesus goes here Immediately, Jesus goes there quickly, and that's the way the entire gospel reads. And last week, we learned some incredible lessons from the very first Baptist preacher, John the Baptist. Now today, we are going to kick things off at the Sea of Galilee. How many of you have ever been to the Sea of Galilee? Several in this congregation have. Uh, we've gone there together and several years ago, you might be included in this story. We were at the Sea of Galilee and some of us got up at sunrise and we went out to watch the same sun rise up over the same mountains around the same lake where Jesus Christ walked. And we saw that morning, some of you may remember this, a fishing boat chugging out to throw out its net to spread out its net to begin fishing. And it reminds me that this story that we're about to read, this story about Jesus Christ at the Sea of Galilee, it's not some religious myth. No, it's a real story about real people whose lives were changed by Jesus Christ, and that's still our testimony today that Jesus Christ changed our lives. The title of the message this morning is, If You're Not Fishing, Then You Aren't Following. I want you to take your Bibles in hand with me this morning. Let's go to Mark's Gospel and let's stand together as we honor the reading of God's Word this morning. Mark chapter 1, beginning in verse 14. This is the very next story that Mark gives us from the one that we looked at last week. And then from here, we'll begin to jump sporadically um, as we march through the gospel of Mark. And here we are, the calling of the first disciples, Mark 1:14. After John the Baptist was put in prison, Jesus went into Galilee, proclaiming the good news of God. The time has come, he said, the kingdom of God is near. Repent and believe the good news. As Jesus walked beside the Sea of Galilee... He saw Simon and his brother Andrew casting a net into the lake, for they were fishermen. "'Come, follow me,' Jesus said, "'and I will make you fishers of men.' At once they left their nets, and they followed Jesus. When he had gone a little further, he saw James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John also in a boat preparing their nets." Without delay, he called them, and they left their father Zebedee in the boat with the hired men, and they followed Jesus Christ. Today, church family, my prayer for us is that we would find ourselves also right there in a fishing boat, right there on the Sea of Galilee that we would hear the same words that Jesus spoke to them also be spoken to us. Come, follow me, and I will make you fishers of men. That's my prayer for us today. Let's be seated. Now, I, I love, as we begin today, I love what Jesus said and what he did not say. I want you to notice that Jesus did not say, follow rules, but he said, instead, follow me. And that reminds us this morning that the Christian life is not a bunch of rules. And there are a lot of people inside the church, and unfortunately outside the church, who think that to be the case. They think that Christianity is just a bunch of rules, it's just a bunch of regulations, it's just a bunch of rituals, but we know, and we should know, that this is all simply about following Jesus Christ. And when we follow Jesus very naturally, We simply want to do what Jesus did, so we have to ask the question, what did Jesus do? Well, Jesus did not come primarily to heal. If that would have been the case, he would have established a hospital. Jesus also didn't come primarily to teach, or he would have established a school. But Jesus came according to his own words to seek and save those who were lost. So when we follow Jesus, that has to be our passion as well. Fishing for men means bringing people to faith in Jesus Christ. Now, this morning you may or may not be a fisherman. I confess to you that I'm a big fisherman. I love to fish. I I get excited about the opportunity when I have it to get to go fishing. And you may not be one of those, but I do know this. I don't think anybody in this room today, their vocation, that they make their money and their living by going fishing. So whatever it is that you do, Jesus wants to take what you know to bring people into a relationship with him. So today, let's learn from this passage. What I want to do is I want to talk about five Fishing tips that will lead, that will help you lead non-Christians to faith in Jesus Christ. And so, let's dive right in. Five fishing tips this morning. The very first one is this, that good fishermen go where the fish are located. Now, I once saw a funny picture, a cartoon about a guy who was sitting in the middle of a row with his large fishing pole dangling it down into a pothole filled with muddy water. Now, Now, that fisherman was not exactly fishing, right, where the fish are. And the principle that we're going to make off the top is you're never going to catch any lost people. You're never going to catch any fish until you leave your house, you leave the church building, and go to where the fish are. I love the story that Jesus told in Luke chapter 14. He compared the kingdom of God, you know the story, he compared it to a man who threw a party. And at that party, all the local VIPs were sent invitations. And every single one of them, it seemed, came up with all of these phony excuses as as to why they couldn't come. And then Jesus says this in the parable. Then the master told his servant, go out to the roads and the country lanes, the highways, and the byways, and make them come in so that my house may be full. Friends, God wants his house to be full. Somebody say amen to that. God wants his house to be full. That's why I was so excited last Sunday when the football team spread out all over this place. It was full. He wants the family of God to be overflowing. You see, right here in Navarro County, Right here in the buckle of the Bible belt, some people say, there are thousands of people who aren't yet in the family of God. And God wants us as the first Baptist church, God wants you as a follower of Jesus Christ, He wants you to go out and tell them that God deeply loves them. I love the way Max Lucato said it. He said, Jesus wasn't crucified in a church building over a baptistry between an organ and a piano. "...in front of a bunch of coats and ties. No, he was crucified on a cruel cross between two hardened criminals. He wasn't crucified in a nice neighborhood, but at a crossroads of the world, so, that, so cosmopolitan that his crime had to be explained and written in three different languages." He died at the kind of place where thieves cursed and soldiers gambled, and that's where we need to take the gospel of Jesus Christ. Friends, the very first fishing lesson for us is that good fishermen go where the fish are located. Isn't that right? Let's go to the second principle today, the second fishing lesson. Good fishermen also understand how fish behave. Now, one of my favorite shows, I think I'm going to connect with you on this, is still the Andy Griffith Show. How many of you still watch Andy Griffith? I mean, if I can find it going, I'm going to sit there and try to watch several episodes. And one of my favorites goes all the way back to the beginning because it was a—it was an episode about fishing. In this episode, you're going to remember this one, Opie was very little, and Aunt Bee comes to visit on a trial basis. So you can, you can now tell how early it is in the show. And she was desperately trying to fit in. She wanted Opie to like her, right? So she agrees to go fishing with Opie and Andy, but she didn't know a whole lot about fishing because when they went to fish, she left her bait dangling about a foot above the surface of the water. Well, Opie sees this, he points it out to Andy, and Andy swoops in with this great excuse to save Aunt B embarrassment. He explained to Opie that Aunt B was such a good fisherman that she was even trying to catch the flying fish, right? But it was obvious Aunt B didn't know a thing about how fish act. Folks, we have to know how lost people act. We have to know how fish act. If we're going to reach them We have to understand the world in which we live. We have to study our culture without buying into our culture. Now, here's the deal. You don't have to become a fish to know how a fish acts. You don't have to become a lost person to know how they act. It just means that we intentionally, and let me underline that word for us, we intentionally make friends with people who don't know our Lord and Savior. Now, a lot of times, as pastor, I'll say, How many of you know a lost person? And I'm always shocked at the number of Christians that go, oh, I don't know any lost people. But see, that's what happens. That the longer a person follows Jesus, the fewer friends they have who need Jesus. It's only natural. We want to hang out with other Christians, right? We want fellowship. But we never can forget that Jesus was a friend to sinners. He spent time eating and fellowshipping with the worst of the worst. And some of the most notable stories in the Bible is the Jewish leaders criticizing Jesus for eating with somebody as despicable as a sinner. And what did Jesus say? How did he respond? He said... It's the sick people who need a doctor. Folks, Jesus wanted lost people to be saved. And let me be very bold as I say it. He wanted them to be saved from eternal damnation. He wanted them to be saved from a very real place called hell. I said that on purpose that way. And I know it's not politically correct anymore, seemingly for a preacher to say such things, to to talk about unbelievers dying and going to hell. But I I repeat that Jesus spoke about it, so so will we. So will we. Listen to Leonard Ravenhill. He, He wrote about an English criminal named Charlie Pierce. When England still executed prisoners, Charlie Pierce was on death row in West Yorkshire, England, And on the morning of his execution, this prison chaplain was dutifully reading a passage of scripture to to Charlie. And the passage spoke about heaven and it spoke about hell. And Charlie Pierce said this to the indifferent chaplain. The chaplain was just going through his motions. And the prisoner said this. Sir, if you believed what you and the Church of England say that you believe about heaven and hell... Even if England were covered with broken glass from coast to coast, I would walk over it if need be on my hands and knees and think it a worthwhile living just to save one soul from an eternal hell that sounds like that. You see, folks, that's the urgency that we need to have with the gospel. That's how important it is that we understand how fish behave. Fishing lessons. We have to go where the fish are located. We have to know how those fish behave. Let's give a third lesson today. Good fishermen use a variety of strategies. Now, now I thought about covering this stage today with all the different ways a person could catch fish, but I decided it would just clutter things up. But but what are our options? Well, we could go out and throw a net, right, and we could catch some fish. Uh, we could go out with a trot line, and many of you have done that before, and we could catch a, a catfish, right, something feeding on the bottom. We could go out with a rod and reel, and we could choose a fish that way, and it's the same way when it comes to reaching people for Jesus. There's not just one way. Good fishermen use a variety of methods. Let's talk about Billy Graham for a moment, because anytime we're talking about winning people to faith in Christ, Billy Graham's going to come up. I mean, he was only the greatest evangelist in world history. He only probably is responsible for more people coming to faith in Jesus than anybody else in recorded history. Billy Graham preached a huge crusades around the world. He once spoke, according to those who counted the numbers, he spoke in one occasion to over a million people in India. It's amazing. So when fishing for people, what was his his, um, choice? What was his course of action? Well, he fished with a huge net, right? And you may look and you'd say, hey, I'm no Billy Graham. And that's fine. You don't have to fish with a huge net because there's not one approach that works for every single person. Different people need different approaches. And that's exactly why the Apostle Paul said what he did. You remember his words? I become all things to all men so that by all possible means I might save some. And I love Paul's example. When he spoke to the Jews, he used one approach. But when he spoke to the Gentiles... He used a different approach. When he spoke to the philosophers on Mars Hill in Athens, Greece, he used an intellectual argument. You see, good fishermen use a variety of strategies. You ought to train yourself. We ought to train ourselves in a lot of different ways to share the gospel because we're going to come in touch with a lot of different kinds of people, a lot of different kinds of fish. The third lesson, good fishermen use a variety of strategies. Lesson number four, good fishermen expect to catch fish. Now, one of the funniest stories about fishing was told by a country comedian, Jerry Clower. This this joke right here is from Mike Gage, okay? He's not with us in this service. You can tell him one's coming in the second service, but Jerry Clower told this joke. And he talked about a man named Claude Ledbetter in the state of Mississippi who was catching boatloads of fish when no one else was bringing anything in at all. So the game warden, what got his attention, he decided to go out with Claude to investigate his fishing methods. And after arriving in the middle of the lake, Claude reached under his seat, you know the story, pulled out a long stick of dynamite, he lit it, and he just tossed it out in the water, kaboom, right? The water sprayed everywhere. Well, the game warden couldn't believe it. He was shocked, number one. He was enraged, number two. He flashed his bab and said, hey, Bubba, that's illegal, and I'm going to arrest you. You can't fish with dynamite. And old Claude didn't say a word. He just lit another stick of dynamite. He thrust it into the game warden's hand, and while the fuse sizzled, Claude said, are you going to talk or are you going to fish? Right? (laughs) Right? Now, I don't recommend that method, but I will say this. Claude Ledbetter, Bubba, was expecting to catch some fish, wasn't he? And that's the way good fishermen are. Have you ever gone fishing with a good fisherman? Have you ever gone out soul winning with somebody who is really gifted at it? They expect to catch fish. They have faith, don't they? And and that's really how it goes with sharing the gospel with lost people. It requires faith. You're not putting faith in yourself and your own skill. You're not putting faith in the person who needs Jesus. No, you're putting your faith in Jesus Christ himself. So in order to be an effective witness... You have to have absolute confidence that Jesus can make a difference in the lives of the people who need to know him. If you don't expect people to accept Christ, chances are they won't. You have to go out. Good fishermen expect to catch fish. Let me give you the fifth principle today. Good fishermen, and this one's hard for a lot of us. Good fishermen are patient even if they don't catch fish immediately. Now, I love going fishing with somebody like this. It always gets my attention. If this person doesn't catch a fish in the first 20 or 30 cast, they don't load up and go home with their pouty lip out, right? No, what they do is they, they might move to another spot. They may try a different bait. They may change up their tactic, but they're going to keep on fishing, and sometimes people feel guilty because they don't have a great deal of success when it comes to trying to lead someone to Christ. I mean, they hear stories of somebody coming back from the Ukraine or wherever and said, Oh, thousands of people gave their life to Jesus. And they feel rather intimidated by that. And in their mind they think, Oh my word, I have a hard time even starting a conversation with someone about spiritual things. But I want you to listen to Christ's words again. This, this gets our attention today. He said, follow me and I will what? Make you fishers of men. In other words, it's a process. It's something that Jesus does in us. The longer you follow Jesus, the more closely you follow Him, the more He'll make you into a quality, effective witness unto the Gospel. The more seasoned and skilled you will become only by walking with Jesus. And let me add this, let me add this, not too many fish are just gonna jump into your boat. Now one one thing we know about fish is they're easily spooked, right? They're going to try to get away. And just the same, a person without Jesus, they may often resist you. They may even resent your attempt to try to share Christ with them. That's okay. Love them and keep showing God's love to them. Keep praying for them and be patient. I love the story about George Mueller. If you don't know the name, one of the greatest preachers of the 1800s, great man of faith, and in his journal, Mueller recorded that one day... This is actually historical fact. He started praying for five friends to come to Jesus. After many months, one of them came to the Lord. One of the five. Ten years later, two others were converted. It took 25 years before the fourth man was finally saved. And Mueller persevered in prayer until his death for that fifth friend, And throughout those 52 years of praying for that friend, he never gave up. He died at the age of 78, and his faith was rewarded because soon after Mueller's funeral, that last man gave his heart to Jesus Christ. You see, good fishing takes patience. If they don't bite right at the beginning, you've got to just keep on, keep on, keep on casting. To close, to close out the message today, I want to do a poll. And I'm trusting that some of you will just tell me the truth here. Raise your hand if you've never in your life been fishing. Raise your hand, okay? All right. All right, so we've got several. You've never ever been fishing in your whole life. Now I want to ask you this if you just raised your hand, have you ever caught a fish? Well, you say, Pastor, that's silly. If they raise their hand saying that they're, they've never been fishing, how is it they could have ever caught a fish? And that's my point, right? You see, I'm not going to ask you today how many of you have ever led a person to Jesus. That's not the question. The question is how many of you have ever even tried to lead a person to Jesus. And I'm convinced of this. I know this is true. That God is not going to ask how many fish you caught. He's going to be more interested in how many times you actually went fishing. You see, he's going to judge you on your obedience. He's going to judge you on your obedience. Your job is just to share the gospel. Whether anyone accepts Christ or not, the results are up to God. I love what the famous radio commentator Paul Harvey once said. He said, too many Christians are no longer fishers of men. They're just keepers of the aquarium. I want to finish by reading for you something called the Fishing Society. Once there was a group of people called the Fishing Society, and they gathered every week to talk about the importance of fishing, but they never actually fished. They decided to build a big new aquarium, so they pulled their money, no pun intended, and they built a sparkling new meeting hall, and they named it the Aquarium Center. And then they hired an expert who had a doctor of fishology to teach them from the fishing manual. And each week they gathered in their beautiful building, and they read portions of the fishing manual. The meetings ended with the expert dramatically casting a net into the large tank in the center of the aquarium. The members rushed to the edge and were hopeful some fish would be caught, but none were ever caught, of course, because there were no fish in the tank. This led to disagreement among the members of the fishing society. Why weren't there fish in their beautiful aquarium? Some said specialization was the answer, so they built smaller tanks specifically designed for fish of all ages and sizes, but still there really weren't any fish. They bought the newest and most modern fishing equipment on the market. They elected numerous committees to operate the fishing society more efficiently. One group regulated the water in the aquarium. Others were to keep the glass walls polished. Others sorted and arranged the expensive fishing gear. Finally, the fishing society decided to send a brave few members to go and live near the lakes and oceans, and they called those Fissionaries. These foreign fishingaries emailed pictures of themselves standing by the water holding their catches of fish. And over the years, some members of the fishing society forgot about fishing altogether. After all, there was plenty to keep them occupied in the aquarium. Some even suggested they change their name from the fishing society to just the society. After all, they didn't want to offend the fish. One day, a bearded stranger appeared at the aquarium. This long-haired, sandaled man claimed that he was the master fisherman. He extended his hands to ask the members to follow him out, and he would teach them how to catch fish with him. They noticed the man had ugly scars on his palms, probably from fishing, but nobody moved. Nobody budged at all. As he turned to leave, he said, "'If you never go fishing,' You have no right to call yourself a fisherman. I'm going fishing, and if you aren't fishing, he said, well, then you aren't following me. After their initial shock, the members of the fishing society resumed their busy activity of maintaining their beautiful hall. They were glad their beautiful hall had not been built.